you're uh, visiting with us today, we're glad you're here. I want you to know that. We're uh, so glad to have you. We're currently in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be again today. We'll be there for a while. Um, so we might as well get used to that. Um, but we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse. Now, this book was written to a church that was struggling. But it was also written for the church throughout all the ages. Right? So in this book, you don't just find the story of the church of Corinth. You find the answers for the struggles of the church today. That's why it's important that we focus in on this book and that we understand as, as Paul, the founder of this church, but not the foundation of it. Paul was the founder, but the foundation was Christ. And so Paul writes to them in love and he, he wants to talk to them. And we've seen so far that the church's problem is predominantly is that the church is acting, thinking, believing, behaving like the world. As we read a week or so back, they are carnal. Worldly, in other words. And this is what's causing the problems. And there's no unity now in the church. But there's division. And so so much so that they were arguing about who's the better pastor? Who's the better preacher? Paul or Apollos or Cephas? Or who, who's the one that baptized them? And all these things. And this was just evidence to Paul that sin had found its way into the church. And you're going to see as we go forward, again, I tell you every week, but the more we read, the more you're going to see those sinful, worldly behaviors wreaking more and more havoc throughout this church. But, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, as he would often introduce himself, being the servant of Christ that he was, is focused on calling it out. He's, he's focused as, as a good servant of God does. He tells the truth, but He does it in love. In the hopes of restoring them back to what they should be. You know, the Bible says when we get off track, it's a good thing when a brother or a sister or a friend or a church comes along beside us and says, hey, maybe things are not going well for you spiritually. Let me try to love on you and get you to come back to where you need to be. Now when we're in that condition, we often don't want that help. But we don't realize we need that help. He's telling them the truth about themselves. But here's what I love about Paul. And here's what I love about the Holy Spirit as he penned these words through Paul. He's not just quoting the problems. He's telling them the solutions. He's telling them how to fix it. And we've seen those solutions. Just, just a few of them here in the first three and a half chapters He's already instructed them to get their minds and hearts centered back on Christ who was crucified to them. He was, he was pointing to the crucifixion of Christ and He says, get your mind back on what's important. And then He encourages them to remember this very important thing that they're fully equipped to do everything they need to because they have the Spirit of God. These are truths for our church today. Now, we don't have the same problems as the Corinthian church. But we have different ones for sure. 
Every church has problems. Amen? And so Paul is pointing to these solutions. And then what we studied last week, Paul gave him a, a big shot in the arm by saying every day, every moment, live considering the coming judgment of believers. Because there is a day when every true Christian's work will be brought into judgment. And after that, there will be rewards and regrets. And he emphasized that. And that brings us to where we are today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 16. Let's read the rest of chapter 3 together. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Amen? Amen? What Paul's trying to say here is that the church, he's speaking to the church at Corinth, he's speaking to the church down through the ages, he's even speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to Pound River Church Amen. through this letter. Amen. And what Paul is saying, he's saying the church is the temple of God and God's Spirit dwells among us. Amen? Amen. Now, you'll see this a, a, a couple of times, right? Look at, back at verse 16. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? In other words, he's, he's using this analogy twice in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the first time we see it. We'll see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And there he talks to individual believers and he says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you. And there he's speaking about how the Holy Spirit is with you in your individual lives, in your homes and cars and jobs and everywhere we are, He is. But here, he's using it in a different context. Here, he says the church is the temple. When they come together as a body of believers, he says you're the temple of the living God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because when we're gathered together like this, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in our midst. Amen. That means right now, Amen. as a church this morning, as a church body, the Holy Spirit is here amongst us. Amen. That has real meaning this morning. That means He's amongst us observing our worship. Don't take that lightly. Do you think... Don't, don't, don't think I'm trying to be hard. Because I'm not. 
But do you think that God is pleased when we're talking about nonsense with our neighbor in the pew beside of us while somebody's trying to get us to sing to the Lord? When we're busy talking about our car or the Super Bowl or the whatever while somebody's trying to lead us to sing to the Lord who is in our midst. And He observes that. See, you may think today that God doesn't know, but God was right here. He was right here last Sunday and the Sunday before that. He's already taken role of who's here and who's not here. He knows who His children are and He knows the ones that He's commanded. And do you think it's a small matter when we willfully abstain from gathering together together as a church? Do you think He is pleased with that when He's told us forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? Of course He's not. When we willfully choose something else over worship. You see, here's what God knows about Himself that we need to know about Him. He knows He's worthy of your worship. And what we need to recognize is that He's worthy of our worship. He's, he, he, from the beginning, He commanded a Sabbath day of rest and worship. He listened to our songs this morning. He heard your testimonies. He listened to your prayer requests. You didn't make a prayer request to me. I can't answer your prayer. You made a prayer request in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And He's more than able to answer your prayer. He listened to the teaching at Sunday school this morning. He observed our willingness to hear and to listen. He's heard all of our conversations that we've had with each other this morning. He searched our hearts, our attitudes. He knows every thought we thought. He knows the thoughts you're thinking right now. He's in the midst. He's listening to this sermon. He's weighing it in the balance. He's watching what our response will be. He's recording this day. He, he, he is holding us. Listen, our choices won't be forgotten. They'll be brought before that judgment seat that we spoke of last week. You see, the truth is, is what Paul is saying when he says he was being condescending. He was being, he was asking in a way to, to almost belittle in a sense but not in a mean way but what he's trying to he's trying to wake them up that's why when he said it he said do you not know do you not know do you not get it that you're the temple of the holy spirit that's what he's speaking to our church today too and it's not an insult it's a reminder don't you remember because if they remembered in Corinth and if we remembered in Pound River and if the churches down the road remembered that the Holy Spirit is the reason that we're here this morning, He's in our midst today. If we remembered that, it would change the way we view church. And that's what He's trying to help them remember, right? Because they've got a church problem. They can't get along with one another. And so what He's saying to them is, is you listen, don't forget why you're in there grumbling and fussing and and, and, and quarreling and doing all these things. The Holy Spirit's there in the midst. And that changes the way we see things. 
You know, it's not just coming into some building this morning to, to listen to a few songs and to clap your hands and talk to your buddies and hear a little message and go home. This is not a social club. Oh, listen to me this morning. It's not a social club. We're in the presence of God right now. His Spirit is not some little thing that we say, oh yeah, God's Spirit's here, no biggie. That's a biggie! We're, we are His temple because we're gathered together this morning. And He came to dwell in the midst of us. Should we not fear a little? Should we not reverence? Should, should, should we not honor Him? Should we not rejoice? Should we not praise? Shouldn't it make our songs a little louder? Shouldn't it make our worship a little deeper? Our repentance a little more genuine? Our prayers a little more heartfelt? Our songs a little more focused? Our sermons a little more on point today? Because He's here. It's not just us gathered together to encourage each other. It's us gathered together to encourage each other and it's Him in our midst. We should be overwhelmed and humbled and happy and fearful and rejoicing and broken in all the emotions that we could have in the presence of a holy God. Why do we treat church so casually? Why were these Corinthians just thinking that it was no big deal that they were stirring up controversy in the church? Why do we do that sometimes? Because we don't understand this truth. And that's why Paul's taking them back. When you're gathered together as a church body, God's present. It's present. It's not a Sunday hangout. It's God's house. It's, it's His dining room this morning where we gather together at the table to eat and He sits at the head of it. I'm convinced today. You'll think I'm being mean. I don't mean it to be. But I'm convinced that one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to make it to heaven and somebody's going to say, gosh, you know, I just don't feel like going. I think I'm going to hang out at the mansion. I just, I'm, not, I'm not really up for it today. Not feeling like worshiping the Lord today. I think I'll just take a stroll by the river of life. I find more peace with God down there than I do at the table. No, 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 friend. When God calls His children to the table, when that bell rings, we'll run to the table. This is the table. This is the table. When we ring that bell on Sunday mornings, that's the dinner bell. Come and get it. Right? Come and get it. The Word's going to be preached. The Spirit's going to be here. The songs are going to be sung. Worship's going to take place. Come and dine. Come and eat all that are hungry. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we gather together and we're placed together, God is with us. And that should make us look at it a little differently. We should see it as God's house. That's what Paul's trying to get them to see. Is it's not your house. It's God's house. It's where God dwells amongst His family. And so because Paul understood this, 
that the church was the temple of God. In, in, in today's time, now listen, we as individuals are the temple of the Holy Spirit too. But when we gather together, we're the temple. And, and so Paul sees that and he issues a warning. Look at verse 17. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's a pretty stout warning. Now we can just read over it real quick and it might make you feel better. But you need to know and I need to hear what, what it is God's trying to say to us there. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You see, Paul's speaking about the church and he said if anyone defiles the church. What does that mean? Let me explain that word defile. It literally, the literal translation of it is to corrupt. If anyone corrupts the church, God will punish them. It's a word used to describe seducing a virgin. It's a word used when they describe bribing a judge or breaking the rules of a contest. They use that word, it's corrupted or corruption. And that's what Paul, that's the same word Paul's using here. And so he said, if anybody corrupts the church, God will punish. And that's a warning to believers. Amen. What are some ways the church can be corrupted? Let me tell you some ways. A big one, right off the bat. False teaching and false doctrine corrupts the church. Amen. Corrupts the church. Let me show you some scriptures. Galatians 1, 6-9. through 9. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. See, the Galatians' problem was, and we'll one day study out the book of Galatians too, but their problem was is they were trying to have Christ plus something else. The reality of salvation, the reality of Christianity is it's Christ plus nothing because Christ is enough. And he said, now you've moved to a different gospel. You see, the true gospel is Christ. And you've moved to a gospel that's Christ plus something else. And he said, I marvel that you turned away so quickly. He said, it's not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let me show you another scripture. Maybe it even says it better. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there'll be false teachers among you. We're living in a day where false teachers abound. Anybody can preach today. Anybody can jump up and say anything they want to. Anybody can start a church. Anybody can get ordained. You can go online and be ordained in seven minutes. Anybody. We've got all kinds of unqualified people standing in pulpits today. And I'm not talking about seminary school. I'm talking about unqualified don't have the Spirit of God because they're not really saved. 
We've got all kinds of those folks who are who have congregations full of people. Amen. And they listen to them Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And they make their souls feel good. And they make their ears feel good. And they make their they paint over their sin and leave them to die. Amen. May it never be. There'll be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Same word that he used over in Corinthians. He said, and many will follow their destructive ways. Isn't that a shame? Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. God said it's coming. And I'm going to deal with them. I do not want to be found amongst that number. That's why it's imperative that we're in our Bibles, studying our Bibles, preaching from the Bible, holding to the authority of the Bible, and not a man's opinion. False teaching and false doctrine corrupts a church. What about this one? This one will be less popular. What about church members who live in willful sin and refuse to repent? It corrupts a church. 1 Corinthians 5 and 11. Unpopular scriptures I'm going to read to you now. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone who is named or calls themselves a brother. In other words, calls themselves a Christian. He said, don't keep company with anyone who says they're a Christian who is sexually immoral, who is covetous, who is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or extortioner. Don't even eat with such a person. That's unpopular scripture. But it's still scripture. What about, you say, well, that's it. maybe we're taking it out of context. That's just in one place. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. Paul says this. He says, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him. That he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. They're not our enemies. We don't hate them. We just don't want to let them corrupt the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. What about Galatians 5 9? This is a short one. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen? Amen? When church members live in willful sin, and it may be secret sin, it doesn't have to be public sin to be sin. When they live in willful sin and they refuse to repent, it corrupts the church. Now we all sin and come short of the glory of God. But there's a drastic difference in somebody who is willfully sinning and refuses to repent of it than someone who sins and trips and falls and they find their way back to the Lord in an altar of repentance somewhere. And they say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's different. Listen, you may be in this church today. You may be lost. You may have been in all kinds of mess all your life. You can stumble your way up to the altar today and find new life. 
Isn't that amazing? I stumbled my way forward one day and found new life. God did something in me I could never explain with human words. But whatever it was, I could give my best effort. Whatever it was, what I know is the person that knelt down never got up. Somebody different got up. And it was me. The me that you see today. Because the one that you saw come up to the altar that many years ago, a long time ago, and I don't know if any of you all were there, I seriously doubt it, but when I went to an altar that day, I never came back. God created a new me. Behold, I make all things new, saith the Lord. A new creation in Christ Jesus. Didn't matter what my past was. Didn't matter the mistakes I made. Didn't matter all the things I'd done in the past. God threw them all out. He cast them away from me. He washed me clean, made me white. Created a new creature. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable mercy towards a sinner like me. That wasn't even in my notes. When, when, we church, when church members treat the church with contempt and they damage the testimony of the church when they walk in disobedience, it hurts. It corrupts the church. Amen? Amen. When, when pastors and elders and deacons try to lord over the church as if it's theirs, it corrupts the church. Amen. We're no exemption to the... We don't get a special exemption. We're not above reproach. When people sow discord in the church, you know what that means? That doesn't mean disagree with one another. You can disagree and not sow discord. Amen? Sowing discord means you sow seeds of bitterness and anger and hatred and distrust into the ground of somebody else's heart. And now I've sowed discord into you to get you to, to see things my way, not somebody else's. That's discord. That corrupts the church. When we step outside the authority of the Scripture and we think we have a right to do church our own way, we corrupt the church. And I could go on and on. I, I could have made a list another two pages long, but it would have eventually began to be boring. We all understand what he's saying here and we don't want to be found guilty of corrupting his church. Being in the body of Christ, being in the local church is a serious thing. You know, it really is a serious thing. It's not to be taken lightly. And you say, well, preacher, that's why I'm not a member of a church. That doesn't mean you're not a part of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean you're not a part of the temple of God gathered together right here this morning. Amen? It's a serious thing because if we corrupt the church, He will punish us. He leaves that open too. He doesn't tell us what the punishment will look like. He just says, He will destroy, He will punish. And I know this, He'll do what He says He'll do. I've seen, and I don't know if this is the right interpretation for this, so I'm saying that up front, but I've seen many Christians who disregarded the church and brought reproach upon the church with their lifestyles and actions and I've watched their lives fall apart. It's a serious thing. 
to be a part of the church. Now, in light of that, look at verses 18 through 20. Because he's going to expound more now. He said, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are a few. I want you to see how it fits together. Since the church is the temple of God, and we're not to corrupt the temple of God, Paul says this is how you can avoid corrupting the temple of God. You avoid it by avoiding worldly wisdom. Don't try to bring the systems and practices of the world into the church. Amen? Don't think you can outsmart or outcreate or create a better way than what God has created. There's lots of people out there today who's trying to figure out how to redo church. Church don't need a redo. People need to come to God for who God is. We don't need to make a God that they want to come to. Amen? Amen? And this is good for all of us this morning. Let me tell you why. Because it goes beyond church and it speaks to our lives as Christians. Let me give you some example. When we try to apply worldly wisdom to parenting, in other words, we try to parent like those who aren't Christians because we don't want our kids to feel different. Right? So we try to use the world's way of thinking and the world's actions and then we, we say, well, all I can do is hope and pray that they'll turn out godly. We do great damage because God has instructed a way that we are to train up our children. Now we go against that way and we go the worldly way and we think we're doing our children a favor. And maybe you are in this life. But what about in the one to come? And let me tell you why we do that so often. Because God's way is harder. God's way requires more work on our part. God's way requires us to train our children, not the TV. Amen. Not YouTube. Mm. It's hard. I fail a lot with my children. We do the same thing in our marriages. How many of you know that even Christian marriage is hard? Some brave folks raised their hands. Some did. Still up? We know you meant to. We know. I saw you. Thomas had two hands in the air doing this. It's hard. So, so what do we do when our marriages get tough? We go through those rough patches and we get things. It's hard. What do we do? We start listening to the world. Right? We tune into the world. Maybe, maybe even begin to model our marriage after the world. Hoping maybe we can bring a little spark back into it. Right? If we just add a little bit of worldly pleasure in on top of our marriage... Maybe it'll catch on fire again. And when it doesn't work, we take the world's path. You know what the world does? When it doesn't work, they just divorce. And that's what we do too. 
Instead of turning to the wisdom of God and saying, how should I be married? What kind of husband should I be? What kind of wife am I supposed to be? Let me get my own heart in check. Let me begin to pray. Let me begin to seek God's face on these things. Let me go after You know why we take the other way? It's easier. It's easier. We do it in our careers. Right? We take the path of the world in our careers. We get a little cutthroat. Right? Maybe we gossip just a little bit because if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to hobnob with the boss. Maybe we lie sometimes at work. Just, I mean, after all, I mean, they don't, you know, I've got to be careful about what I do and say. So, I, you know, uh, I'll just tell us this little lie and, and my boss will like that a little bit better. Hmm? Instead of following God's principles for how we're supposed to work, which is work hard, treat other people good. Right? Obey. Servants, obey your masters, for this is fitting in the Lord. It's hard. It's easier just to lie and say you did. We always want to take the path of least resistance. And Paul is saying the same thing about the church. He's saying the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. It's foolishness. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that? Now you really better think about that because if you really start to believe that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, it's going to radically change your life because what you're saying is I acknowledge that God's ways are better than man's ways. Amen. And that God's ways are actually better than my own ways. Amen? Amen? Amen. And if you start to believe that, if you really start to believe that, that means you're going to start to believe that God's design for living is better than the culture's today's design for living. And that means that you're going to begin to live differently than the rest of the world. And it's going to radically shift your life to all of a sudden everybody else is over there and they look one way and you're over here and you look a different way. And you know what? They're all over there trying to scratch out and find a way to be satisfied and trying to get, you know, trying to grab a hold of this and grab a hold of that thing and one more pleasure here and one more pleasure over there. But those that are over here, those that have decided that God's ways are better and that they want to walk in them, they have something that those folks don't have. They have peace that surpasses all understanding. They have joy unspeakable and full of glory. They have, they have access and prayer and they have love unspeakable. They have things that those people over there will never know. Never know. And until we understand that as Christians, we're going to be carnal. And that's what Paul is saying. You're never going to have the peace and the joy and the unity that you could have until you recognize that the world's wisdom is foolishness compared to God. Amen. God's ways are better. Amen. You say, well, I don't like that God says this. Well, your thinking is foolish compared to His. There's lots of things in the Scriptures that I have been confronted with over the years and I thought, I wish it was different. But my way's not right. God's ways is. Let's look in Isaiah 55. We read it this morning. But let's read it again. 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Listen, one of the ultimate questions you're going to have to answer as a Christian is, do I trust God more than myself? Don't limp through your Christian life with the crutch of, well, this is just how I am. Lay that crutch down and be who God wants you to be. You say, well, I can't change. Anybody can change. Anybody can change. I don't care what situation you're in today. You, you, listen, I have, I have met people that have encountered God who have been, who have had very difficult lives, chained in addiction. And God helped them to change. We can change. Am I willing to do what God says I should do even if I don't want to do it? That's the question today. Am I the Lord of my life or is Jesus the Lord of my life? Which one is it? Well, I mean, think about it. Really, really answer it because until Jesus is the Lord of your life, you're missing something. If you answer no, if you say I'm not willing to do everything the Lord tells me to do and I don't always trust God, if the answer is no, your faith likely rests in your comfort and happiness. Which is not a Savior. And I say that with love this morning because I want you to have all that God has for you. That love and joy and peace and all those things that God has. I want you to live a life that produces fruit for the kingdom of God so that when you die, when it's your day to get the bad news of the doctor, when you take your last breath, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive a reward for your labors. I want you to get a reward, not a box of regret. I'm almost done. I believe we're living in dangerous times. I believe we're living in times where we are saturated with the world's wisdom. We've got TV shows and podcasts and YouTube videos and Facebook posts and audio books and everything. All we've got to do if we've got a question, we just spend a half a second in a Google search bar and we get an answer. And it's so easy and it's so convenient to get all the world's opinions and all the world's thoughts. And the danger behind that is, is at the same time, we're living in a time where people are turning away from the truth of God's Word. And they're criticizing God's thoughts and they're criticizing God's ways and they're making fun of the people who are trying to live a quiet and peaceable life unto the Lord. And even worse, we're living in a time where many churches have removed themselves from the authority of the Scripture. Guys, there's no bigger issue today. I don't care what political issue you pick. I don't care what social issue you pick. There's no bigger issue today in the church than the fact that the church is trying to remove itself from biblical authority. When men can stand up and decide what's right and wrong and go against the Scriptures and they can still call themselves a church and a pastor and all these other things, we are living in the most dangerous times that's ever been. People are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. People are lovers of money more than lovers of God. People are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It is dangerous days. 
And, the, and, the, and listen, the Scripture is emphatic. It's clear. It says, if possible, He would deceive the very elect. He's coming after you. The world is coming after you. And they're going to try to slip in and deceive you and remove you up from under biblical authority and say, well, the Scripture didn't really mean that or God didn't really mean that. It's the same thing the enemy done from the beginning. Amen. Oh, God didn't really say you'd die. Yes, He did. And they ate and they died. It's the same today. The world is trying to convince you that you can be some little half-hearted Christian. That you can just flip-flop around in your stances and in your beliefs and that you can just go around here that you can act like the world and sin like the world and do all the things the world does and that you can be totally undedicated to a, a, a body of Christ, a local church, that you can just be anything you want to be and that God, all God is is love. And the reality of the Scripture is that God has expectations for His people. Amen. And God expects His people to walk in obedience and holiness. Amen. And when we don't, He expects us to repent. Amen. We don't want to be deceived by this new worldly version of Christianity. Because we'll get to the end and come up short. Having not trusted in Christ, and not making the Lord of our lives and are trusting in ourselves. And we can't save ourselves, guys. I think the message is best described in one scripture. It's in Acts chapter 5. They, they had absolutely obliterated Peter. They put him in prison. And they told him, they said, You better not preach in that name again. Don't you preach in the name of Jesus. Now listen, we're going to set you free. Don't you preach again. They put him in prison. Then they went down to the prison and they said the bars were shut, the doors were locked, the guards were outside, but there was no Peter. He wasn't in there. And they went outside and they walked over to the temple and you know what he was doing? He was in the temple preaching Jesus. And they brought him back in and they said they brought him back in carefully as not to harm him because the people might revolt. And they brought him back in. And this is his response. And they said, did we not tell you to stop preaching in that name? He said, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Church, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let's stand to our feet. Got a heart of love for you. I want you to bow your head for a moment. Close your eyes. Just feel real pressed to do this this morning. Two things. First, are you hearing lost? Now I'm talking about you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know Him. Your life is troubled. Your heart is troubled. And you're in a wreck. Is that you this morning? God is speaking to you. And if God has touched your heart today and you have even begun to sit and think, should I be saved? The answer is yes. Come and drink of the water of life freely. How do I be saved? How do I get saved? 
Ask the Lord to have mercy upon your sinful soul. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That He died for your sins. And that He rose again on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And if you want to come and pray this morning, then come to this altar now. And let's pray together. And let's, let's let you walk out a different person today. You came in one way, you can leave another. Is that you today? We're praying for you, friend. Our heart is for you. Church member, church friend, visitor, Christian, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that we love you. I want the same thing that I know that Paul wanted for the Corinthian church. He just wanted them to serve the Lord 